sometimes controversial, always politically incorrect, and pro-life without exception, without compromise, and without apology. It's the Pro-Life America podcast with your hosts, Sarah Waits and the president of Life Dynamics, Mark Crutcher. All right, we're back, and we welcome you to the Pro-Life America podcast. I'm Mark Crutcher, joined here by my worthy co-host, Sarah Waits. Hello. Sarah, last week, we kind of touched on a... Sketchy characters sketchy of the character. abortion well, industry. Of course, of you've course, seen so many of them. We could do 10 shows on these guys. We <laughs> could do not. a show per character if we wanted to. But <laughs> what we want the point we want to make here, and we'll get into this after the lighthearted part of this... People who think that abortion clinics are like other medical facilities, they just happen to do abortions, are nuts. Yeah. These places are a disaster. I mean, they're a dumpster fire for the most part. I think this is really well summed up by a quote by David Grundman, which I'm sure you know more about him than I do, who is an abortionist. He said, abortion is still a very fringe type of practice. There aren't a lot of people who want to get into abortion provision. And the ones that we do have applying for us for training often have very dodgy histories and backgrounds. And if you dig deep enough, you'll find a death or two or a malpractice suit or a deregistration somewhere along the line. It's very difficult to get good doctors that are committed and want to get involved in abortion provision. And that's been true since day one, and it remains true today, and it will always be true. This is like porn. You know, you don't get great filmmakers getting involved in porn yeah it's just the sketchy part of the film industry and abortion is the red light district of medicine i've said that for years and we talked last week about a couple of characters um one of them raymond showery who was actually from here in texas we don't really like to claim him too much but so this was a guy who was thrown out of his medical school residency first right and then what becomes a professional wrestler yeah, and his parents were apparently pretty wealthy, and they got him out of several jams that he got himself into. But he was a professional wrestler. He wrestled under the name the Chinese Bandit. <laughs> he wrestled all over the, around Texas and, well, all around the Southwest, I remember. But anyway, wow. he went back into medicine. Mm-hmm. He was an abortionist here in Texas. He uh, eventually killed a young girl named Mickey Apodaca. Mm-hmm. She was 28 years old. He perforated her uterus and tore her uterine artery or something. She bled out on him. He was also sentenced for suffocating a premature baby, right? Yeah, he had a baby, a seven-month-old baby, unborn baby, mm-hmm. that he was doing an abortion on. The baby survived, and he drowned the baby. Mm-hmm. And some of the employees witnessed it, and they turned him in. And he was sued multiple times for malpractice. He also had convictions for insurance fraud, right? Yeah, insurance fraud. One for illegally operating a child placement agency? Yeah, he was doing all sorts of things. (laughs) He was a man of many talents. But um, anyway, if he were still alive, he's not. He died some time ago. But Mm -hmm. if he were still alive, Planned Parenthood would hire him today. They have to take what they can get, and this is the kind of people they get. I also heard he was an art collector. (laughs) Yes, he had a bizarre art. The thing that I read said that he had a painting of naked women standing around with paintbrushes Paintbrushes. sticking out of their rear end. Like horses. And he was quoted as saying that this painting depicts women as they essentially are, (laughs) whatever that means. Because that's how we spend our spare time. Right. With a paintbrush sticking out of your rear end. So you have a tail like a horse. How did like they know? Horse. I mean, this is the secret that all of us women keep. Yeah. But 
Anyway, if old Raymond was still around, Planned Parenthood would hire him in a heartbeat. Not unlike our buddy from Mississippi. Milan Chepko. And his wife mm-hmm. was involved in this deal. They belong to the National and International Diaper Pail Association. And as I said last week, please, for the love of everything good, do not Google that. <laughs> do not see more information on this. Let's just say these people had a colorful sex life. <laughs> but anyway... He was an abortionist in Mississippi. So Chepko was arrested for mailing and receiving pornography involving children as young as four, and also somehow for taping FBI phone conversations during a kidnapping investigation. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how that's possible. I don't know. He was sent uh, to prison, and he also was charged $6,000 in fines for videotapes, I'm assuming were related to that Diaper Pail Association. Yes, they were videotaping. Based on the names. We had a guy, I can't remember his name now in a malpractice suit that was against him. And I can't remember his name now. We need to go back and research that. But mm-hmm. he used to come into the procedure room with no shirt on and no shoes on. He did abortions. These women would be in the stirrups and he'd walk in. He's got no shirt on and no shoes on. And he's there to do their abortion. And he was a doctor. Wow. But he was nuts. But he also allowed his dog to come with him into the procedure room. Ugh. One of these women testified that the dog was licking blood up off the floor. And then so disgusting. there is... Ranchin Banchamani mm-hmm. from Louisville, Kentucky. This is a real hero of ours. He got into several scrapes. And at one point, some patients had turned him into the health department. And the health mm-hmm. department did an inspection. Yeah. And they come out to his abortion clinic. And it was in kind of a seedy part of Louisville, which is, of course, appropriate for abortion clinics. And um, it was in a what was a converted boarding house kind of thing. Okay. Uh, boarding house. Okay. Apartments. Okay. And they had made the entrance to his abortion clinic in the back alley. That's you, very fitting. You literally had to park about a block away and then rock down this back alley and go in this back door and then mm-hmm. go up this flight of stairs and there's Manchamani's abortion mill. When the health department came, mm-hmm. they said that this part of Louisville was uh, populated by homeless people. Okay. And they were living inside the little airlock that you open one the door. Yeah, yeah, you open one door and you go in, then you go up the stairs. Mm-hmm. They didn't lock that door at night. That was a common area for this place. Mm-hmm. They didn't lock it at night. So some of them would live inside that little area where you had to go through to go up to Banchamani's abortion mill. And there were piles of feces in there. This um, health department inspector said that when she got there, she had to step over piles of feces to get to the stairway that went up to Banchamani's mm-hmm. area. She said when she got there, she noticed that in the procedure room, there was a sink on the end of the procedure room. She said it was filthy, and there was a dirty mop bucket in that sink Mm -hmm. with dirty mop water in it. And this is in the procedure room. Yeah. She also noted that um, this facility had no restroom in it. There's no restroom in this abortion clinic, which I'm assuming does pregnancy tests. Right. And... She said that their procedure was that when you came in and they wanted to do a urinalysis, mm-hmm. they would give you a cup and send you down the hall to the bathroom that was for the whole building. Mm-hmm. So you would go down the hall and then you would bring that urine sample back. Mm-hmm. The woman at the front desk where all this was... You mean the place, receptionist? The receptionist was the one who did the pregnancy test. Wait, the receptionist does the pregnancy test? She did the pregnancy test. Okay. And she's sitting in the room where all these chairs are, where there's other people there. So you bring in your urine sample and give it to her. And she does the pregnancy test right there at the desk where, the, where the phone is. 
Wow. The worst part of it is now you've got a little cup full of urine, right? Yeah. And you got to do something with that. And you don't have a, this is not in a restroom. Yeah. She had a coffee can on her desk that she poured the urine in and it just sat on her desk. Did she get a bonus? Well, at least we've for have, that, having to deal with a coffee can of urine day in and day out. You well, know, how much? How much of a bonus do I have to? You have to pay somebody to do that. I don't know. For me, it'd be a bunch. But how do you advertise? Need a receptionist? Answer phones? Schedule appointments? Can type this much per hour? Oh, and must be able to deal with coffee can of urine on desk. On desk. And do pregnancy tests. And it's not even. I wouldn't even want to sit in a desk all day with my own urine. Let in alone a coffee somebody can, else's. Much less eight or ten people that have come in and giving you oh, urine samples. Anyway, Bonchamani was a butcher. Yeah. And uh, he eventually lost his license. And I think, he's, I think he's died now, too. you got to tell people about Joe Bill Reynolds. Joe Bill Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> I had some interaction with Mr. Reynolds on a couple of occasions. I don't know why he became a doctor. He was a millionaire before he became a doctor. And he said time and again, he told me one time, he said, I never wanted to be a doctor. But somehow so, or another, he went to medical school. I think his parents were putting pressure on him. Mm-hmm. He becomes a doctor, but he wasn't a very good one. Mm -hmm. And he got into a lot of malpractice trouble. Okay. And he was about to lose his, not only his license, but his malpractice insurance. And his wife suggested that he go into the abortion business because she was a nurse. Mm -hmm. She apparently knew that the standards weren't that high in the abortion business. So they would take him. So he got into um, the abortion business, but he told her, he said, well, I don't know anything about doing abortions. I've never done abortions. Mm Mm-hmm. And she says, well, you know, it's basically just entering the contents of the uterus. You can practice on me. What? So he started practicing on his wife, giving her abortions. Wow. So anyway, they went into the abortion business and he got into problems again. He, I don't recall that he killed anybody, but he injured a lot of people and he mm-hmm. got into malpractice again. This time his wife said, we're going to have to get out of the abortion business, apparently. And um, she said, you know, liposuction is getting to be it's just sucking the fat out of the body right, right. just like abortion Anybody is just getting the, the contents out of the uterus he right? says well i don't know anything about doing liposuction let me guess she volunteers herself. she volunteers she says well we'll just go back and you can practice on me and once you get good at it then you can open up the liposuction clinic well he never got good at it when he was doing liposuction on his wife he killed her mm. apparently what had happened i think when we looked at the report that the health department did on it he accidentally hooked the suction liposuction machine up, caused it to attach to an artery in her leg, a vein in her leg, mm. and sucked the blood out of her. Oh, and wow. she died, so he killed her. Whoa. The way I got in touch with this guy, or had I come to know him, back when we were doing a lot of malpractice cases against the abortion industry, we had practicing abortionists that worked as expert witnesses for us. Mm-hmm. They made the best expert witnesses because they couldn't be discounted for political bias Mm -hmm, because they were actually abortionists because they were actually abortionists well he found out about that and he called me one day he wanted to become Uh, he wanted to get into the network he wanted to get into the network and be an expert witness (laughs) this is not long after he killed his wife doing liposuction on her Uh, (laughs) anyway i assume you said no (laughs) no we said thank you mr reynolds but we don't think we can would be needing your services this time but yeah, he called. He wanted to get into the network and be an expert witness for us. We have to talk just briefly about the Eason family. 
Because this is so crazy. It's this mother and then her three kids, like a son and a couple daughters. It was a whole family business. It was a family business. And apparently the father died and the son felt like it was somehow the mom's fault. And he stabs her with a serrated steak knife in the neck. Right. But later, they open up an abortion clinic t- together. I mean, I don't know how you go from stabbing mom into the neck to be like, you know what we should do? I think he also, at one point, killed one of his roommates. Stabbed one of his roommates to death. One of the Eason's did, I think. You can't make this up. <laughs> no. You know, anybody thinks we're making this stuff up. Listen, Walt Disney didn't have a good enough imagination to make this stuff up. This definitely falls under the heading of truth is always stranger than fiction. And speaking of truth being stranger than fiction, I think we should talk about our An American Abortion Clinic DVD and the interview that we did with a patient of Douglas Carpin named Sophia Martinez. Okay, remember this is in conjunction with the interview that we did with the three employees Mm -hmm. talking about him killing babies outside the womb, Mm -hmm. twisting their heads off and all kinds of bizarre things he was doing. We were also at the time able to make contact with one of his patients. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, let's make sure people understand, we did not pay her. She had no reason to talk to us, to make things up, to lie about it. And her story is so incredibly bizarre. And we've got the full interview. On the DVD. You can order the DVD DVD. from us. Right. You can get it from us. But it is unbelievable what happened. She went to him for a chemical abortion. Yeah. Very early in the pregnancy. Right. She went for an abortion. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. She found out a month later that she was still pregnant, and she gets an ultrasound from a pregnancy resource center, and it shows that it's still the same pregnancy, that she's just further along. She's about 14 weeks pregnant now. And so she calls Carpenter's Clinic, right. who did the chemical abortion, to let them know that it didn't take. And it seems to me, Carpen realizes that he could be in trouble for medical malpractice because of something to do with the chemical he abortion. He probably, which we've seen now is almost standard procedure, he was probably doing the abortion using a smaller dose mm-hmm. of the chemicals that he's supposed to use because they third the dose so that they um, save money. Mm-hmm. They can't make money if they use a full dose. So I suspect that that's what he was doing and it caused her to still be pregnant. So when she's talking to Carpen about all this, this is what she says happens. I called Carpen's office. And I told him that I was, and they told me that it was new. It was a new pregnancy, and I told him that I went to a, a collision bus, and I got seen, and I have pictures and proof that it's in, that it's the same pregnancy that I was 14 weeks and four days. And at that point, they told me I needed to come in immediately. I asked him what was going to be done, what was wrong. He said it was a possibility that it could harm me or my child, my unborn child could be harmed that and what could harm you the baby being inside of me if if something's wrong with the baby and I started crying and I told him if I was gonna be okay and he told me to think about my son that I you know because I told him I was gonna go to the hospital if something was wrong with me I was gonna go to the hospital that I didn't want to come back I was mad I didn't want to see him no more I didn't want to go back there and he was telling me that you know, that I needed to come in because not only could it harm myself, but he needed to know if the baby was fine too. And he had reminded me of the pills I had taken also. And he says that once you take them pills, you have to finish off what you do. So he said I had to finish the procedure. He tells her that she has to have an abortion. 
Yeah, and you know the other thing that's interesting in all this. My argument has always been: I think we ought to have state laws that say if you do a chemical abortion somebody and you do it wrong and it doesn't take, mm-hmm. if she's going to follow up and have the baby now mechanically killed, mm-hmm. she should be able to have that for free. Why should she have to pay for two abortions? Yeah, but that's what happens here. Mm-hmm. That's another reason they have an incentive for the chemical abortion not to work because they're going to get to follow up abortion. They're going to get paid twice for killing the same baby. But he starts telling her that. A, she has to have it because of the drugs that she's taken. She has to have the abortion. B, that there's something that could be wrong with her child, and it could be life-threatening to her, that she has to do it. And he brings in her little kid and is saying, think about him. Think about your child. Using emotional manipulation to get her to come back. And apparently, Carpen and his wife continually keep calling her back to get her to come back because this is where the circus begins yeah this is where all the the craziness begins and so carpen's wife actually picks her up for the abortion well they want to make sure she gets in Mm -hmm. because they're looking at a malpractice issue here and not only that but carpen's wife apparently is studying to be a business person because she starts trying to wheel and deal with her on making a deal on this abortion and this is what sophia says about all this the doctor's wife, when she picked me up in that, that morning, she proceeded to tell me too, like, you know, make sure you have the extra cash on you just in case. You know, and she kept pressing it, like, make sure you have this amount. And she kept changing her amount. She went from saying that she was going to give me a deal. And she said, oh, deal. She said, I'm going to give you a deal because, you know, everything that you've been through and how far you are. Because I told her that I needed money for rent too. And that I didn't really have the extra cash like that. And... She went from proceeding to saying that I had to pay $75 more, and she went up to 100 and all the way up to 300 and then dropped it down to 250 And she kept making sure, like, do you have it? Do you have it? I'm like, yes, yes, I have it. Okay, so they're negotiating in the car, uh-huh. driving to the abortion. I'll room. make you a deal. Right. It'll be 75 <laughs> No, no it's $300. i will knock it down to 200 $250. i will knock it down to 250 you know, It's kind of like, what do we have to do to get you in this abortion today? You know, this is like a car deal or something they're making it's, here. It seems to me that it starts out with they're trying everything that they can to get her to get this abortion. And once they feel like they've got her hooked, now they're trying to up the amount of money that they're bringing in. That's called a bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> So they baited her with the $75 abortion. Now it's up to 250 or whatever. And so when she gets there, Carpen asks for the ultrasound and the documents that she got from the Crisis Pregnancy Center. She says <laughs> that he shreds them. And she doesn't run out the door. She doesn't run out the door. When he does the ultrasound, he won't let her see the screen. He deliberately turns the screen away from her. And is telling her that she's got to have this abortion because of deformities and basically she needs this abortion. It's life-threatening. He says she needs a three-day procedure because of how far along she is. So they're going to do laminaria. They're going to do laminaria. But because she's already had a kid, they said they can do it in two days. No. But she just needs to pay. So she goes downstairs to pay. And then a whole other (laughs) circus breaks out. Now, I've shortened the clip so it's not quite so long, but essentially, this is what happens. I went downstairs to pay for it, and the Hispanic lady that was in the original office, I, you know, I was giving her the money, and she told me in Spanish she was shoving the money away from her, and she told me that they'd made mistakes there before, and she said she was sorry, and she said let them fix it. Let them pay for it. And I was like, and I told her, I was like, I was kind of like, kind of a little shocked that she was acting like that. 
And she kind of spooked me a little bit. And I'm like, no, it's okay, I got it. And then she was like, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, she knows I have it, though. Like, the doctor knows I had it. Like, she made sure it was clear that I had it before I even jumped in her truck. And then how, and it makes me look bad. Like, I finally get here, and all of a sudden I don't have the money. Like, that's going to make her mad because she specifically made sure it was clear that I had that money on me. And for me to come back just makes me seem sneaky. And I didn't want to cause any problems. So I was like, I kept telling her no. And she kept telling me in Spanish, like, déjalo no dinero. Like, tell them that you don't have no money. And then I was like, okay. You know, I mean, I could use the extra money, okay. And then she she kind of talked loud, and she was like, "So what you mean you don't? So you left your wallet at home? All you have all you have is one is a hundred. And I'm like, "No, I heard." She was like, "Like she was telling me like she just want you to go along with it." Yes, right. And I'm like, uh, "Yes, I left it at home." And then right away, Mr. Carpenter came in, and she was like, "You told me you had it all." She said, "You, you I asked you." If you had the money, you said yes. What do you mean? And then I'm looking at the lady like, see, this is what I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want this to happen. And she and she was like, well, how are you going to have it? And I was like, well, I left it at the house. And when my ride comes to get me, I'll make sure they stop by my house and pick it up. And I'll have it when they come pick me up. And she's like, well, the doctor's not going to want to work on you if you don't have it. So she tries to pay, and the clinic worker won't let her won't pay. Won't take the money. Won't take the money. <laughs> tells her to tell this story. Despite the fact that Carpenter's wife has made sure that she has the money. And, then and all she does have the money. And so she talks in the loud voice, what do you mean you don't have the money? And all of a sudden, <laughs> Carpenter's wife comes out of nowhere Comes out of nowhere, and is like, you told me you had the money. Like, I don't know what this woman's role at this clinic is. And anyway, it's, now it's the crazy. girl is locked into the story. Every other five minutes, they're like, did you contact your ride? Are they going to have the money? Apparently, Carpin's wife keeps on coming in and out. Right. And, of course, they're telling her that Carpin won't do the abortion until he has the money. This life-saving abortion that she needs. Yeah. He'll let her die before he does the abortion for free. Yeah. Basically. That's, what, that's literally what he's saying. And keep in mind, this is only the appointment, supposedly, to do the laminaria. They're not supposed right. to do anything else at this point, but they're not going to even insert the laminaria until they have all of their money. So Carpenter's wife keeps coming back in, and at one point, she says, we're going to go ahead and, start, and do this, but you better have the money or we're going to call the cops on you. Right. And so Carpenter starts to do the sedation, which I didn't know that you needed sedation for laminaria. I mean, is that normal? Well, sometimes they'll do a local, but not a general anesthetic, that's for sure. This is so crazy. This is what happens. I remember looking at the clock, and then I remember he turned the gas off because he was like, um, the wife came in and reminded him to call, to have me call for my ride to make sure I had the money. So he turned the gas off and took the mask off of me. And then he was like, oh, you need a call. And I was told him that my phone was in the locker. And at that point, I was kind of nervous because I, I went and I pretended like I called. Because I was going to give it, I was going to, I already made my mind. I was gonna you give get it off the cash. table? No, I sat up from the table. Okay. And they hand me my stuff in my locker. And at that point, I just act like I made a phone call. So, so she fakes the phone calls. He's giving her a, a gas yeah. sedative, stops it. So yep. that they can have her do a phone call to make sure that the ride will have the money. Right. What kind of operation is this? 
We'll keep on going. It gets better. The long and short of it is, after this happens, they put her under, and she wakes up a few hours later, and she's not feeling great. She's nauseous. She's dizzy. And another clinic worker insists on Sophia giving her her phone so she can call the ride to make sure that they have the money. <laughs> and naturally... Sophia doesn't want to hand over her phone to this person. When her ride gets to the clinic, <laughs> Carpen tells the staff to watch her and not let her go anywhere. And then he threatens her. I'm sitting down at that point back in the waiting room, and they told me that I couldn't leave unless my ride came here. And I was like, well, can I go outside and meet up with them. And they're like, no, he has to come inside. I'm like, well, he has my son. And you said that there's no kids allowed in the lobby. And she was like, so she went to go ask the doctor. And then he said that if I tried anything funny or if I didn't pay, he was going to have his wife kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's threatening to sick, sick, sick his, his wife, wife on there. <laughs> and this is not even the craziest part. Right, yeah. <laughs> so... This very confused ride shows up. They do this weird, elaborate, she tosses the money, and then he makes this visible thing of giving her the money so she can pay them. Yo, she slipped him the money secretly. Yeah, makes a display of giving her the money so she can give it to the clinic workers, who are watching her right. a few feet away, by the way. Carpen has them come out and watch her. As she's giving them money, a clinic worker tries to get an extra $20 out of her. <laughs> like, oh, you need 20 more. She finally leaves this insane asylum. And when she gets home, she realizes in all of their concern for the money, they didn't take the IV out. They left the IV still in her arm. And when she calls them, the receptionist volunteers to meet her at the park. At a park near her house. Near her house to take the IV out. (laughs) And tries to convince her. Naturally, this girl's like, no, I'm not meeting you in some park to, to, to take my IV out. She goes to the hospital. They do some investigating, naturally so, because when someone, a patient shows up with an IV left in your arm, it naturally draws a lot of questions. It turns out that she didn't just have liminary inserted. He did an abortion in one day. They, That's why they were knocking her out. Which is why they sedated her so much and why she was so ill. And... The clinic would refuse to give her records. They said they would send it to, you know, another medical facility for her, but they wouldn't give her anything. Of course, they're trying to ask her why she's wanting records, and they're yelling at her for not meeting them in the park to get this IV out. Why did she go to the hospital? And so because of everything that goes on, she's kind of scared, so she decides to go to a friend's house. And this is where the insanity goes to the next level. Off the rails. I just, I didn't feel comfortable being home. I felt, I mean, I'm a little scary cat. It's just me and my son. So I went to my friend's house. And later the next day, I found out that somebody had broken into my apartment. They went through the window and um, they left the knife on the bed and my medical paperwork, like all my documentation and stuff was sitting on top of my refrigerator and that was the only thing that was missing. Okay, no. Like, I had a laptop sitting right on top by, by the window. I had my TV. You know, I had, I had um, a shoebox that had some money I was saving up, and it had my card in there. It had, you know, just 
food stamp card. These stuff, simple things that I would think that would get taken. You know, my DVD collection on the floor, right by my TV. But most importantly, I was like, okay, if this is somebody that was breaking in here, they would have like definitely took my laptop. I mean, it's sitting by the window of the entrance where they came in from. And then, then like I said, there was a knife laying on my bed. It was like stand up like this on the bed. So, so somebody had broken into your apartment mm -hmm. the day of all this that all this happened, mm -hmm. and they they didn't take the laptop, they didn't take anything, television, no, anything, no. But they stabbed a knife into your bed mm -hmm. and took your medical records from the emergency room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what do you say? I mean, when you we were doing were this all... interview, did you expect this kind of craziness to no, come out? No, we were sitting there with our mouths hanging open, you know, thinking, what? I've never been in a medical environment where any garbage like this. Have you ever been to the doctor where they said, if you don't pay, we're going to whip your ass? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I have never been in that situation before. I'd be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to leave. I think I'm, I'm out. I'm out of here. I don't know what kind of crazy operation y'all are running, but bye-bye. <laughs> but, you know, you either have to think that for some bizarre reason, this girl just made all this up. An incredible uh, I mean, I story. couldn't make this out. If oh. you're going to make something up, wouldn't you make something up that was not so colorful? If it had been a little bit outrageous, you could say, okay, yeah, that I'm a little suspicious this girl just made this up. But if you're going to make up a story, you'd at least make up one that was believable. This is unbelievable. Yeah. And it goes back to that deal of truth being stranger than fiction. I mm -hmm. mean, any way you look at it. And this girl certainly seemed believable to us. She had no reason to make this story up. No. In fact, she didn't even know who we were before this thing started. Yeah. There's no way that she just made this up to jerk us around for some reason. Well, and you <clears> asked <throat> her. I mean, she had hospital records, and she also filed a police report on the break-in. So, I mean, there's a paper trail. You know, the abortion industry, every time one of these people gets caught in one of these deals, they defend them. Mm -hmm. right up to the point that they can't, and then they drop them in the grease and say, oh, they're the exception. Like Finkel, for example. I don't know if people know about Finkel, but he was he was an abortionist in what, Arizona? Arizona. And he was a poster child for the abortion industry. Oh, you a big defender of the abortion industry. And women came forward accusing him of sexual assault and rape. Right. And the abortion industry defended him. They were claiming that this was just, what, a collusion? Yeah, it was a conspiracy between the district attorney's office in Maricopa County and pro-life groups like me. That's what they were claiming. That's what they were claiming. I, I did a talk show with a woman from Planned Parenthood, and this was her argument. And she said, you know, you guys are just making this stuff up, and he's a noble champion for women's rights. Well, eventually, a, a jury didn't agree. He got convicted. And Is it 80 counts? 87 counts? No, he was charged with something like that, but he only got convicted on 27 or something like oh, that. Oh, I'm sorry. Only, only 27. And he got 34 and a half years in the state penitentiary, which is where he is right now. And then all of a sudden, now he's an outlier. I think the similar thing happened with Gosnell, right? They were defending oh, yeah. Gosnell. Right up to the bitter end. Yeah. They defended him until they couldn't, you mm -hmm. know. Anyway, it's called an American Abortion Clinic. We've still got those available, and you can get the full interview that we did with Sophia. As well as interviews with three of his clinic workers on a variety of things. Right, and we've got a shorter version of that on um, YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll put the link to that, but that's just part one of the yeah. interview with the clinic workers. This was an all-day thing. Yeah. So we've got a lot of footage, and mm -hmm. we put that out on this DVD. And Anyway, that's all the time we have.
If you like this show, I want people to go and leave a review because we talk about things that nobody else is talking about. And your review helps encourage others who stumble upon the podcast to give it a listen. And we really recommend that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the list goes on. You can get notified when we get new episodes out so you don't miss any of this amazing information. Yep. Anyway, until next Thursday, remember, Life Dynamics is not here to put up a good fight. Mm -mm, We're here to win. Because winning is how the killing stops. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys.